Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to Changes. It's Annie Mack here and this is my new podcast where I talk to people about the changes, the biggest changes they have had to endure and come through in their lives. Today's guest is Jamar Jonas. Jamar's brother Michael was stabbed to death in Betts Park in Penge in South London when Jamar was 16. Nobody has been found guilty of his murder. Knife crime in the UK is still rising year by year, record highs. Politicians promise more police on the streets when the root problem, which is lack of services and support systems for vulnerable children, is being ignored. Youth services have been slashed over the last few years especially and the results of that are very apparent. There were 90 fatal stabbings in 2019. 23 of them were teenagers, majority young, black or brown-skinned men. Jamar is 18 now and studies aeronautical engineering and I rang him yesterday and asked him how he wanted me to describe him and introduce him for this podcast and he said, I'm trying to be the change. I found him because his name cropped up in a couple of articles and online videos as someone who is talking to politicians and authorities about what needs to be done about the problem of knife crime from the ground up. And also, notably, as someone who is resolutely positive and seems determined to contribute to society. In short, he's a really impressive young man. And I caught up with him on a late night. I think it was a Thursday, super late during lockdown. And he was in his house and I was in mine. It was the first couple of weeks of lockdown, so it was all new then. Uh, but the quality of the call takes a little hit. So please excuse the quality. Jamar was just checking his investments as I dialed him up. More on that later. So please enter the podcast, Jamar Jonas. OK, keep talking for me for a sec. Oh, well, I'm just here. I'm currently chilling in my bed with my laptop, trying to figure out how this world is going to overcome this COVID-19. <laughs> There's a lot of fear within people right now. Let's start with the madness of the world right now and coronavirus. How are you coping with the change in your freedom? <laughs> that's, a very, that's a very good question. It's not really a thing of coping. It's more of a entertain yourself kind of thing. Because, I mean, there's a lot of people that already stay at home and don't really do much and don't really go on the road as such anyway. So it's like, but, I mean, it does feel different, though. It does feel a little bit different. You feel a little bit limited, just a tiny bit, depending on your lifestyle. If I need fresh air, I'll just walk to the local park, like, walk around, look at some trees, you know, and come home. <laughs> Let's talk about your first change. So w one of the things I ask everyone to do on this podcast is, Think about a big change that happened to you as a kid and a big change that happens to you as an adult. Hmm. I thought the big change for me as a kid would have been the passing of my older brother. How old were you when your big brother passed? That would have been four years ago, so I would have been about 14, 15, somewhere around there. Yeah. 
Talk me through that day. What happened? So I come back from secondary school Thursday evening. So I come back from secondary school. I can't lie to you. I was looking forward to my PS4 because there was one game in particular that I love to play on that PS4, which is Gran Turismo Sport. Around, let's say around, I think, what, six, seven-ish. My dad came in from work and then he whizzed back out again. And I was like, hmm, that's kind of strange. I'm just playing my game, playing my game, playing my game. Then my mum comes in the house at like eight something. And then she's like to me, have you heard what happened to your brother? And I'm asking, what do you mean? Like, what were you on about? Because I don't know. I actually don't know. Like, what were you on about? What happened? She says, ah, oh, he got stabbed. I said, huh? And I dropped my controller. And I was like, huh? Say that again. And she's like, yeah, um, he got stabbed. And apparently um, he died at the scene. So then what I did... Literally, I forgot I was even playing my game. What I did, I dropped my controller. I flung on any any tracksuits I could find. Just flung on tracksuits. And I said, cool, wherever it happened, I'm going there now. Like, as in, like, now, 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 now. And my mum was like, no, listen, like, calm down. Da, 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 da. These times, I'm already annoyed in it because it's like, I had one or two thoughts at the time and how things went down and yeah I went up to the scene and uh, and it didn't really sink in until I got there reason being was because I never really like you know how they say hearing it is one thing but seeing it is believing it do you get it? yeah so it's only when I got there I was like, okay, this is, this is, this is serious. Like, we're like, the, the, the whole area is cordoned off and that. Like, this is, this is, this is serious. You get me? So I'm like, I'm thinking to myself now, cool. This is apparently real. Yeah. I don't want to believe it's real, but apparently it's real. It's only when I see the tent. You know that the friend, the white tent that the forensics um, team put around the body and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'm looking and I'm thinking to myself, cool, there's someone in there. I don't reckon it's him though, but there's somebody in there. Because they're not going to put a tent on the air. You get it? So it's only when, like, because I'm seeing, like, um, some more of the media family pulling up to the scene. And then I'm seeing people crying. I'm seeing people looking, like, I'm seeing people just looking down you get me like the whole it's like it's almost like the whole world changed on me in a sense i was at the scene that night until about what two three o'clock next morning like yeah it was nuts so you stayed at the scene so so your brother got taken away and you stayed where he passed yeah like we, we weren't allowed to actually go to the actual spot where it happened but like we weren't near enough to it in a sense yeah. And who was we? Who were you with your mum and dad? So, or were you with your mom, friends? Dad, sister, brothers. One thing that really does surprise me is the fact that it happened in the first place because me and him share like me and him are kinda of similar in the sense where we don't trouble nobody. Do you get it? Yeah, I do. Did you feel anger? Like uh, surely when something like that goes on, right? Yeah, of course, definitely. 
like I can't lie to you, I was fuming. I'll be honest with you, like I was fuming. I can't lie, I was actually fuming. Like all kinds of emotions were going through my head. Like, and, and, and you have to think to yourself, like, cool. This has happened. I can't do anything about it directly to bring him back. I might be able to do something that might make me feel as if I've got my own back, but then at the same time, it's not going to do me any justice. It's not going to do him any justice. Do you get it? Have the people who attacked your brother, Mm. have they ever been caught? Yeah, one or two of them got caught still, but obviously... People are getting smart right here, and I can't lie to you, getting away with murder is becoming easier still. I can't lie to you. Because, like, the criminals are getting smarter as well, and they're understanding how to get rid of evidence. Do you get it? Yeah. It's, I can't lie, this whole knife crime thing, so when police come looking for an alibi or whatever, or looking for evidence against them, it's hard to find. Do you get it? So, yeah. Do you forgive them? Hmm, that's a good question. I can't lie, it's a good question. Um, I'm not going to hold the, the maddest grudge here and say, like, yeah, they killed my brother, so I'm just going to hate them forever. Do you understand? Were you and your brother close? Were you friends? They were good still. We were good, we were good. Like, kick back, chill out, play PlayStation. Like, we were good. We were good. We were good. We never had. We never actually ever like. We never actually fell out ever, at all. What was the age difference? Um, the age difference was two years, pretty much. Do you ever think about what what he would be up to now, or how how he would be feeling about you now, kind of being so proactive about trying to help people learn about what's going on? I can't lie to you. I think about it a lot. Still, I'll be honest. I think about it a lot because it's like. Because of the bond we had, we'd probably be doing something together right now. Do you get it? So we'll be working on something. And now I won't be able to see, or the rest of the family won't be able to see what he would have come come out to be. How are your family dealing with it? You you seem to have dealt with it in, in such a positive way. I would say we're still grieving in a sense. We will always be grieving to, like, to some extent because obviously we've lost one of our family members. Do you get it? Once one of them go, it's not the same. Do you understand? But it's not as present. Like you, like it's not shown as much. Do you understand? Yeah. Can I ask you a quick? Can I ask you a couple questions? Though? Let's flip it. Can I ask you. A- ask me some questions, man. Come on. All right. So, what? How do you feel about London? So I'm Irish, so I've I don't consider myself British at all. Mm-hmm. But I do consider myself a Londoner. Mm-hmm. I love London, mm-hmm. and but I one of the things that's bothered me the most recently about London mm. is this kind of epidemic of kids carrying knives and killing each other. And I've got two sons who will probably grow up in London, and I'm aware of this real divide. Mm class divide and race divide a lot of the time Mm. people just they just don't seem to be taking it as seriously or as they're they're not how do I describe it there's like an apathy there's like a kind of shoulder shrug from so many people like oh we don't know how to fix it or or the the attitude of 
well, you know, as knife crime is getting more prolific and people on the local streets around where I live are being stabbed and being chased with knives, rather than people being like, oh, I need to find out how this is happening and how I can help and what we can do as a community to help fix it, people are like, oh, we've got to move out. We've got to get out of London. And for me, that's not the answer. The answer is how can we as a community and as a city mm. and as a society mm. all have the responsibility to try and fix it? And that's why I want to speak to someone like you who, is, who has been in the middle of it and affected by it and, and can talk f for it in a really real way because I want to try and understand it. Yeah, I get you, I get you, I get you, I get you. Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a massive divide still. Yeah, I get what you mean by that shoulder shrug. Oh, it's shrug. fucking mental. Yeah, it's crazy. The media. It's crazy. The media, it's like, it's like I kind of went through this phase of tweeting every time another black kid died, being like, oh, there's another one, this is awful, this is tragic, because I kind of want to remind, because you get, it's like, it's like you get normalised to it. You mm. see the news and people, the, the, they're not even reporting it in the news. They're not even putting pictures up of these kids. They're not, you know what I mean? It's just, mm. it's becoming less and less of a headline. Mm. But the fact is that children are murdering each other in our streets. It's like real life Call of Duty out here. That's literally, it is real life Call of Duty out here. That's but you know what I've always it. thought as well is so mad about it, Jamar, is that Call of Duty is guns, right? I mean, maybe it is. I don't really play it, but I presume a lot of it mm -hmm. is guns. But the, the kind of, the real, like actually having knives and... The, the kind of physicality of it and the kind of analogness of, of killing people with knives. It's so old school. People have been doing this for hundreds of years. Mm. It's, there's something so primal about it. There's something so, like, I don't know, it, it, it's just so deep the way, the way that it's happening mm. all over the country. I don't know. It just, it just feels like this should be a, a national fucking emergency. Mm. Yeah, I feel like, you know where that shoulder shrug comes from, though? I feel like that shoulder shrug, where that shoulder shrug comes from. You see how you're talking about that class divide, yeah? The shoulder shrug is coming from yeah. a point where, it's coming from a, um, it's coming from a point of view where it's because it's not affecting them directly, they don't really want to get involved. Yeah. Do you get it? But it will start affecting them directly. Which at the same it's, time... it's not just kids who are from the ends now, it's all sorts of kids. Literally. It's all, it's, and it's out of London. It's all over the country. It's not that that should be the reason for them to get involved now, but, you know, it can happen to anyone. Like you said earlier, it can mm. happen to anyone. And you know the funny thing is, you know, you know, you know the funny thing is, you see with these class divides, you see these classes that ain't really been affected by as such, yeah? Let's say, okay, so you've got the upper class that do whatever they do, yeah? Cool. They're not mm. looking down and saying, you know, yeah, let me give these kids in these areas some work experience or let me give these kids in these areas the opportunity to see what my life is like and what they could be living like. Do you understand? It's like, if you've never seen it before, you won't know about it. That then comes down to education again, in the sense where schools ain't teaching you stuff about money management and they don't teach you stuff about like getting mortgages and stuff and you get me like they're not teaching you them kind of they're not teaching you about investment and stuff do you get it it's crazy because yeah it's like, that's the kind of stuff you learn from family or from yeah life lessons do you know what's so funny you know what's so funny about what you just said you see this whole 
because earlier when you called me, I, well, earlier when we were supposed to talk, I was doing my forex, whatever, yeah? The funny thing is, the way I saw that, the way I actually came across that, wasn't actually through family or anything. It was literally me going on the internet, finding other ways to make money. That's literally what it was. That's literally what it was. Because basically what happened was, there was a, there, like, I got this point in my life where I said to myself, I, like I took an observation, yeah, and my observation was that, Everybody else around me was literally working to live. People are working to live. Because think about it, London's expensive. Yeah, London's a really expensive place to live in, yeah. So you always got to have some form of money rolling through to be able to actually survive in London. You get it? Mm. I just said to myself, you said, I said, you know what, yeah? There has, to, there has to be a way to go about this without having to be involved in that. I hate to say it, yeah. Boy, the only thing I can call this is modern day slavery. But you're getting paid to do it. So I just said to myself, I said, you know what, yeah, there has to be a different way to do this. And my solution to that is investment. There's nothing wrong with a nine to five, but there's nothing wrong. Like, if that's your thing, that's your thing. But I don't see myself partaking in that. You know, you're mentioning kids coming to school with kitchen knives, young kids, right? Numbers are rising in knife crime. It doesn't seem, obviously, Corona land has fucking come in and I don't know how that is affecting young, vulnerable people in London, but I can imagine it's not nice to be stuck in chaotic houses at the moment for a lot of these children. But why do you think knife crime numbers are rising? Why are they still going up? Well, it's so easy to get access to, isn't it? It's it's easy, like, because you think about it, yeah? Okay. Where do you get a knife from? Amazon. You can get a knife from anywhere. What do you mean you can get a knife from anywhere? Anywhere. Your kitchen, the shops, anywhere. Fam, some people make their own. How about that? Some people make their own. More time, they're not even knives. There might be something else they just carved out and went to stab somebody with. It's easy to get hold of something sharp and poke somebody if you know what you're like. If you you come from an area, yeah, where all you've seen is that, it's easy. It is easy. It's like, cool. It's like, it's like, it's like, cool. If you've learned something, yeah, for example, your occupation, yeah, what you do, what you do is easy to you because you know how to do it and you've been doing it, yeah? Cool. Same way if... For a long time. Yeah. Same way if you're in the end and all you're seeing is guys getting stabbed left, right and centre, you become desensitised to it, yeah? Cool. Now you've been desensitised, somebody in farmland that's not used to stabbing people might look at you and say, hold on, you're nuts. But then you're looking at them saying, no, you're nuts. Because then this is your environment and this is your normality. You're going to do what's normal to you. So it's going to be easy for you to pick up a knife and stab somebody if you want to do it according to what you've seen and what you've been exposed to. Do you get it? So it's basically the more stabbings that are happening, the more normalised they're becoming, the more scared people are to leave their houses, thus they're buying knives for protection. I feel like, and I feel like another thing with this um, knife crime thing is a lot of pressure in it. Sometimes it might be peer pressure, sometimes it might be pressure from the situation they're in, it? Like, there's a lot of contributing factors. Like, some kids, yeah, they don't even need the knife that they're carrying, but they carry it anyway because they feel like they need some form of protection, yeah? Personally speaking, I don't believe in it. I can't lie to you. Like I said before, personally speaking, I don't believe in it. Like, this whole knife thing's a joke to me. Have you never felt fear walking the streets do you never feel like threatened in any way not really you know 
Not really, you know, because the, the way I've always seen it is whatever happens, happens, isn't it? If something's going to happen, it's going to happen one way or another. I feel like, personally speaking, I can say this now, personally speaking, I've been desensitized to it. If I was to hear that somebody got stabbed or someone got shot, I'm just thinking to myself, you know, another day in the end, literally, like, and that's because it's so normal. And because it's so normal, people are doing it. And another thing that contributes to it is the fact that, you see, when police arrest you for a knife, yeah, people always say, ah, police this, police that. You always hear this and that about police, how police are this, police are that. Personally speaking, yeah, I'm in some neutral grounds right now, innit? I don't have a problem with stop and search, whatever, 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 innit? Police are going to do what they're going to do, innit? Society nowadays, they're very hypocritical. Let me give you an example, yeah? So... Have you noticed, you see when police pull up to a scene, there's always a massive crowd. Like everyone's nosy to find out what's going on. Cool. The people that are bystanding, some of them, more time, they don't even know what's going on. Do you understand? But everyone's always quick to say, ah, the police are harassing this, that, blah, blah, blah. More time, the police could be there dealing with somebody that's a well-known killer. You don't know that, but yet you're talking about police, this, that, blah, blah, blah. They don't make any sense. How are you talking something you don't know? Do you understand? And then on the flip side, on the flip side, you've actually got officers that don't have power like that, but then they feel like they've got that power with their uniform on, so then they'll go out and abuse it. Have you ever been stopped? Yeah, I've been stopped and searched. I've been stopped and searched what? Last time, I don't even know how many times. And how do you? Uh, are people civil? Or do you ever get frustrated by it? You know, the, you know the thing is, yeah. You know the thing is, it's one of ones where it's like, you know, if you've got somewhere going and you know you've got somewhere to be and you want to be there, and then you get stopped all of a sudden, knowing that you are innocent, it's annoying. I can't lie to you; it bugs you. And then it's like, but the thing is, Jamar, I don't know that because I'm fucking white, middle-aged woman. Like, I've never had that. That's not happening to me. Which is why I'm, I'm curious. From my view of things, it's just part of the cycle, man. Like it's just part of the cycle. Cause if you look at it statistically, it's mostly black people getting themselves into trouble. You get me? So it's like realistically, people are like feds, like police are going to be looking to be stopping those black people because statistically, they're the ones causing more trouble. Do you understand? But in the same time, what don't make sense is. It, like, it's almost like they're getting stopped, they're getting searched, this, that, blah, blah, blah. It's the same thing repeating over again. Because more time, if they go pen, yeah, sorry, slang, my bad. If they go prison, yeah. <laughs> if they go prison, obviously they want a little education and stuff that they can get and blah, 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 which I rate. Like, I, I support that, innit? Like, if you're in prison, then boom, you should get the. As long as you're displaying the right behaviors, then yeah, you should get the opportunity to flip your life around, innit? Because. Everyone deserves a second chance because no one's perfect, isn't it? Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? 
helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Tell me, how many times have you been to the Houses of Parliament now? I don't even know, you know, I've lost count. Tell me how you first went there, who brought oh, you there. Oh, my mentor, Kieran, because he's a journalist, I think it was one of the pieces that he wrote. I thought what piece it was. And then um, somebody must, from Parliament must have got in contact with him. And then he then got in contact with me and said, listen, I'm going Parliament, you come in. This and that's happening. I said, yeah, no problem, I'm rolling. And that's literally how the first time I, that's the, that was the first time I got there, literally. And so you're going through this process of sitting in rooms with proper official government people. Yeah. So what kind of things are you telling them when you're in that room? So he's spoken about stuff like proofs, the help that proofs provide kids. He's spoken about mainstream What kids. is a proof? Um, a proof is a people referral unit. So your kids that get kicked out of mainstream school, nine times out of ten, they'll end up in what's called a proof. So, so proofs are places where kids who've had issues basically going through the normal education system mm. they are they're excluded from school and they're sent to these to these places yeah. that are more kind of bespoke to them basically what are you telling the government about Prus? i'm telling them that they need to support mainstream schools yeah with those difficult students yeah reason i say that yeah is because like even in my secondary school yeah i was almost like a mentor for some of the younger students, I have that level of understanding and I talk to them like they're actually normal people like that, do you get? And it's, it's, it's one of them ones where it's like, the school may state that they're looking to help a student excel, but then how can you help a student excel if the student isn't comfortable in the environment they're learning in, do you get? Totally. Even there was one student I dealt with in my secondary school one time and he was just being, like, he was he was just being hella disruptive in class. This kid didn't really have anyone to kind of talk to, like, outside of school. So it's almost like he felt like he was isolated. And I feel like a lot of kids in uh, mainstream feel like they're isolated because bearing in mind, yeah, when you come to school, you're thinking, yeah, cool. I'm going to be in classes learning stuff all day, innit? Some of the stuff I might never use again in life, but I'm in class learning, you understand? And school is so... I know school is a place of learning, but come on now, like, at least give the students their... Like, you can't cater for everyone, of course. That's impossible. But if there's kids there that really do need some form of support, yeah? Because look how many students you have, yeah, in schools right now that have mental issues as in like their mental's not fully stable because of all the stuff they've been through outside of school most schools do try but they haven't got the resources they need to be able to have that student feeling like they are able to cope what did your mentor mean to you Fam, my mentor means the world to me are you nuts i will say that with my whole chest without my mentor listen my mentor yeah karen frapper yeah that brother there yeah that guy there is a legend, yeah? 
people do not understand the importance of conversation. I swear to you, people don't understand that one conversation could possibly change someone's life. Kieran, like, he's been mentoring me for God knows how many years. Like, we've known each other for at least five years. At least five years. And I feel like the addition of a mentor, yeah, to my life personally, it's a blessing, isn't it? Because it's like, you've got someone that's not your parents and not your brethren's that you can chat to and you can flow in and out of that professional and informal level of conversation. Having a mentor almost helps you figure yourself out. Do you get it? Totally, totally, yeah. You have your day-to-day life. You do what you do in your day-to-day life, but you don't really think about yourself as such. You just think about what you're doing and what the aim is. And you don't really take the time out to understand yourself. I feel like you having a mentor helps you understand yourself. So did Kieran, your mentor, did he help you in the process of getting over your brother's death? Yeah, definitely. I can't speak for anyone else here, but for me personally, my mentor personally, he's like an older brother to me in a sense where it's like, obviously he's coming from a more mature level than me because of the generation gap. That almost helps keep me in check as well. If you think about it, yeah, humans ain't perfect, innit? Like, if you want to react and do something, you will react and do it. But then if you've got something behind you or someone behind you to kind of help you in terms of your emotion and how you think about a situation or might view a situation, because you think about it, yeah, if I say something to you, you may disagree with me, but then at the same time, that conversation has now opened my mind to other possibilities. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? Totally. So how did you find him? Oh, um, it was through like a educational club that I used to go to called Inter University. Yeah, I've been with since year five. I mean, like even just with knife crime, mm. like the prolificness of it around London mm. and obviously other cities in the UK. But just when you even think about the reality of it, you know, seeing someone get stabbed, knowing someone mm. getting stabbed, feeling enough fear that you feel like you have to carry a knife when you leave the house. Mm. All those things are so deeply traumatic. Mm. And if you're experiencing them as a kid, then how are you supposed to be in a space where you are have any headspace to learn? Mm, true. And you know what's nuts? There's, there's, there's kids bringing knives into schools. Like, there's kids bringing kitchen knives into schools. Like, I think sometimes I feel like people actually take it for a joke. Like, this is real. Like, it's, it's, it's real, real. Like, people, like, kids, like, young kids are bringing knives into schools because they don't feel safe. Do you get it? Like, how can you be in the institute where you're supposed to be learning, but even in that school building, you might not feel safe? Like, and it's crazy because, like, it's a complete, different setting to when you're back out of school then the school saying well we have rules and policies that you need to follow and if we're telling you to do your work you need to do your work but if the headspace ain't there for them to do their work they're not doing nothing and then boom they get kicked out end up in a pool and then more time the pools don't have the resources they need to actually support the kids that really need it Bearing in mind, some kids are getting kicked out of school for some silly reasons anyway. I'm going to get onto that. I spoke to some people in Parliament about that already. I could tell they didn't like it. But, you know, it is where it is. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, no, I mean, I did I did see a thing, a little BBC video where there was a, they were kind of interviewing a community of people in Haringey. Mm. Um, and there's all sorts of people there from 
uh, you know, community workers to NHS staff to social workers to teachers. And the teacher mm. was basically saying that the exclusion of young black kids from school, mm. they, they, they are getting excluded quicker and faster than white kids, that there's a kind of deep, deep racist thing. And like there needs to be more empathy towards kids and, and they shouldn't be excluding them as quickly. Mm. If you're going to talk about race, yeah? if we're going to talk about race, cool, let's be realistic, yeah? Cool. Check this now. Yeah, fucking let's now. go. Check the levels now, yeah? Cool. So most of the black people in this country, yeah, nine times out of ten, if you look at their family history, they migrated from another country to here, right? Now, most of them came here seeking a better life, yeah? That's the main reason they ended up here in the first place. If you look at where most black people are and live, it's mostly in the poorer areas due to a lack of opportunity provided. If you have a lack of opportunity within the areas that you're in, what can you do? And how will you be feeling to know that you're in a situation where you don't really have opportunity to do anything else? This is a, this is a prime example of why some may end up drug dealing. So there's nothing else here for them. What do you expect them to do? They're trapped. Exactly. For you to believe that someone from the ends with a lack of opportunities, yeah, for you to believe that they're supposed to find it easy to move on from everything that's happening around them and what they know to something a bit more professional, it's dumb. If all they know is what they see around them, what can you do and what can they do? Though I feel like a contributing factor to me not going down that road is the fact that I've actively been, what's the word? Okay, I don't want to say I've been actively searching for stuff, but like I said to you before, I'm a dreamer, innit? Like, the stuff I want to achieve in life isn't what your average might want to achieve. And what do you want to achieve? Oh my God, if I start, we'll be here all night, trust me. <laughs> the way I see this whole knife crime thing, it's a joke, yeah, it's a joke. Because I grew up in what you call the ends, yeah, and I'm in an environment where it's actually happening. I'm seeing it, yeah. Due to the way I maneuver myself and the things I'm now involved in outside of my area, it's like I'm not really, like I don't really follow the trend in my area, if that makes sense. Like I'm not doing what everyone else may be doing in my area, you get it? So that allows me to have the angle of seeing it from both sides. So seeing it from both the outside looking in and from the inside of it, do you understand? Because it's like, there's been days I'm coming home, I'm seeing medicines happen on the estate and that like, it's, it's really, really, really real. Do you understand? And it's crazy because it's like, some of the things people are taking lives over is mad because it's like, I don't know what happened to when people wanted to fight each other and get over it and give each other a black eye in it. But like, and now everyone's just like, I don't know if it's a generational thing where it's just being passed down generations, but now you've got like 12 year olds and 13 year olds rolling around with kitchen knives and that like, what's, what's going on? Do you get where I'm coming from? How do you be someone, as you say, from the ends and not 
get lured into it when it's the total norm uh as you say to to kind of end up going that way like how how do you end up not going that way me yeah the one thing with me i've always been a dreamer in it like i've always been a dreamer like i've always been that dreamer as in i'll be the guy where if you ask me what i want in life i'll tell you the maddest stuff and you look at me like i'm crazy yeah and i feel like that's one thing that's contributed to my mindset and the way I see it because it's like the way some people feel coming from backgrounds like these or coming from the ends, should I say, I feel like people, like, I feel like young people on the States don't really feel like as if there's hope for them. Reason being, it's like there's not really much for them to do and they don't really, and the, the thing is, especially with people that don't really have parents like that in their home or um, actual, like, people to look up to in their home, they just grow up knowing what's happening in the end, you get it? because they don't have any other forms of distraction, you understand? There's so many kids right now, yeah, that are in the ends, yeah. There's so many kids in different estates all across London and across England, yeah, that if you put them in the right environment, they will thrive, innit? But I don't think people actually understand that. Let me give you an example of this, yeah, and you might even even find this example funny, yeah. You see drug dealers, yeah. I feel like, personally speaking, drug dealers are some of the best businessmen on this planet. That's a fact. I don't care what anybody has to say. I don't care what police have to say, and I don't care what the government have to say. Whether legal or illegal, yeah, I'm not saying I'm supporting it, but I'm saying what they do and how effectively they do it is wicked, yeah. So they've got their cut clear costs they need to deal with. They've got their stocks they need to deal with. They've got their clientele they need to deal with. So they've got their promotions they need to do to get their customers. Then they then they've then got their customer treatment that they got to deal with to make sure they keep their customers. Then You've also got the fact now that because it's illegal as well, they then have to move it anonymously, which most of them do do well. If you put people like them that have grown up drug dealing, yeah, if you were to put drug dealers in an office, yeah, and give them a certain task, yeah, where they can see themselves actually benefiting from it, the fact that they also don't really have a salary as well is another thing that makes them even more skillful because it's like they find a way to manage their funds correctly so they can keep their line going. Do you get it? So I feel like if you take people like them and put them on business apprenticeships, I promise you they will thrive and mash up their whole business. They'll they'll make the actual people with degrees look stupid. I promise you. I totally get it. So they're just having to be enterprising in the only way they know, right? Because mm. it's the only opportunity they've got to do it in. Realistically, yeah. Tell me something, Jamar, as someone who talks about this stuff a lot and goes to Westminster and talks to politicians and mm. all of this stuff. What can people do, even a small thing, as, you know, busy people with families or whatever, anyone listening, what can they do to help? Have more conversations with the young people. Like, just have more, engage in more conversation with them. It's so funny. When you when you see stuff about knife crime uh, on the news or in the papers, you never hear the voices of the people in it. Literally. 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 Before all these big, big publishers in the media decide to come and chat the most, yeah, 
I beg you get someone that's actually involved. Because I don't know how on earth, yeah, your journalist, whoever, wants to come and just write the story, this, that, blah, blah, blah. Like, for example, yeah, a friend of mine's little brother was um, stabbed, yeah, a couple of years ago. He survived it, yeah. When I was in the hospital with him, yeah, and we were reading for the news articles, we laughed. We heard about five different stories. It was so comical. Like, as in, he's in, hus- he's in his hospital bed, and I'm sitting next to him, and me and him are actually laughing at all the different stories that we're hearing. It was funny. Not once did the kid involved have any say in the article. Getting on to what you were saying earlier, yeah, about um about what can normal people do to help these kids, yeah? Cool. If you engage in conversation with them, yeah, and you get them to believe in themselves, then that's just one, that's just, that's a small, that's literally a small conversation that could then lead on to be to have big effect on them. Because think about it, yeah, if you're someone that lives in the ends, like I said, that's in whatever you're in, yeah, and you don't have that, those kind of words, yeah, to make you feel like you can do something and you can believe in yourself to be able to push for something and do it. This is, this is another reason why my mentor, yeah, this is why um, having a mentor is beautiful. Having a mentor is beautiful. It's like you've got that person, you've got another person that can talk to you on an angle where you will see things differently. So let's say, for example, you're that kid that never really believed that they could do anything else because of where they're living. The one conversation could change your life. Fact. I've done, I've seen it happen before. In my own life, I've seen it happen. There was a kid that I dealt with from my secondary school one time. I'll never forget this kid. There was a kid I dealt with from secondary school one time, and he had an issue where, like, his obviously outside of school, there was a lot of stuff happening. Me and him had one conversation one time, just about like, just like, just about exploring options, and things just changed up. Like, he kind of jumped out of what he was involved in at the time, and. Now he's just like completely different. And that was all, that all stemmed from one conversation to get someone to believe in themselves. Do you understand? Would you, would you say that meeting, would you say that meeting Kieran, meeting your mentor has been one of the biggest changes in your life in in terms of the directions that you've taken? I would say so, definitely. One of the biggest changes, definitely. Mm. Because like, like I said before, it's someone that comes from a different angle. Like it's a whole different perspective. And you then, then you then see it differently as well. Jamar, you are a star. I wish you all the luck in the investment world. Thank you so much for your time and your wisdom and your generosity. I really appreciate it. Mm, not a problem at all. That was Jamar Jonas. I should say that when I pressed stop on the recording, he rapped to me down the phone because he didn't have any recorded versions of his songs, but he wanted me to hear it. So he played a backing track off his phone and then just rapped and sung to me down the phone this song called Changes, which he had written, which literally summed up the entire essence of our conversation. So it was a really kind of profound way to end the conversation of me just sat at midnight on a Thursday listening to this guy that I'd only just met rapping down the phone at me uh, and singing quite beautifully down the phone at me as well. 
So we're going to stay in touch and he's going to send me his music whenever he gets into a studio and gets it down. Let me know what you thought of this episode. I hope that you enjoyed it. I hope that you got something from it. As Jamar said, one of the most important changes we can make in this whole problem, if you're as horrified uh, as I have been about this um, by the kind of normalisation of it all um, and just by, I don't know, the kind of rawness of it all, these children killing children, then... If there's something you want to do that's productive, find a way to help services, be it local communities, local youth centres, help fund those places, help fund those organisations that are hearing the people involved, that are really listening to them, that are helping them to have constructive conversations, helping them to find themselves and get perspective on who they are in the way that Jamar's mentor has done for him. Really interesting to hear from Jamar's perspective how crucial having that mentor figure has been for him. Right. Thank you all for your comments and your feedback uh, from last week's episode with Robin. So many lovely uh, messages coming in. Kate Towell says, I listened on my run this morning. Listening to her story was so lovely. I like her even more now. Yeah, she was so generous um, in her conversation with me. I loved how open she was. And um, I'm really glad that you guys loved it as much as I did. If you want to review the podcast, please do. It's always so appreciated. Go on Apple Podcasts and and write us a little review. Next week, we are going to be speaking to an author and a mother of five, a woman called Clover Stroud, who has been through such a roller coaster of trauma and tragedy in her life that is quite overwhelming hearing her but she is so so inspiring um she's the perfect candidate for this change podcast because she's come through so much profound change and come out the other side so yeah i'm really excited to bring you this conversation next week uh this episode was produced by matt hill at rethink audio have the loveliest week spread the word about changes and i'll see you next week for more (laughs) 